The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. We're going to kick things off as we do every day with our afternoon update, catching you up on all that has happened today, the stories that matter most. And joining me is Michael Kelly, the journalist and former editor of the Irish Catholic, and Kieran Cunningham, chief sports writer with the Daily Star. Gentlemen, you are both uh, very, very welcome. The weather high on uh, the uh, agenda today, as it is every day in this country. Uh, listen, before uh, uh, we come to either of you and whether you've been impacted or anyone you know has been, uh, Aoife Keely is with me on the line uh, from Met Aaron. Um, Aoife, can you let us know what the situation is around the country at the moment and and what's in store over the coming couple of days? Another storm on the way, I understand. Yes, hi. Yeah. Um, so basically, at, at the moment, it's it's still quite windy out there. So, so Stormisha has uh, moved away. So it's it's centred at the moment to the northeast of Scotland, but um, there's still kind of some strong winds uh, behind that, um, particularly across the western half of the country. But as we move through tonight, uh, there will be a brief respite. So the winds will gradually ease tonight and it'll become drier for a time. But as you mentioned there, there is, of course, that next storm on the way, Storm Jocelyn. So that storm is going to move past the northwest of us tomorrow. Um, and that's going to bring yet more rain and very strong winds once again. Now, for tomorrow, um, yellow level wind warnings are going to come into effect for the entire country tomorrow afternoon. So once again, we're going to see those those widespread strong winds. Um, but as the day goes on, it is going to get increasingly windier, especially in the west and northwest. So um, some orange level warnings are in place tomorrow evening and tomorrow night for Galway, Mayo and Donegal. And do we suspect it will be a repeat performance of what we've had for the last 24 hours or something milder or, or, or what's in store? So it won't be quite as bad as Storm Isha was, but the only thing is, given the fact that that Storm Isha did pass through this weekend, um, there will be, you know, we'll say trees or structures that will have been weakened uh, due to that initial storm, um, but may not have, say, fallen yet. Um, so this might just give those, you know, weaker trees or structures that that extra push to to maybe fall or to create more damage. So it does still have the, the potential to be impactful. And, uh, you know, with any storm, there's there's always those risks. So once again, just if people are out and about to take care, and particularly in those counties covered by an orange warning, if you don't have to go out, you know, it's best to, mm. to stay in, you know. So no swimming off the pier in Galway, like we saw uh, some people at over the weekend. Eva, thanks a million uh, for joining no us. Eva Keeley from Medair and uh, Michael Kelly and Kieran Cunningham are both with me, uh, as I said. Um, uh, Michael, I suppose that there's 155,000 homes, I think, still without power. So that's kind of the guts of 300,000 people and some will be without power, it looks like now, for a couple of days. Yeah, and the country is very disproportionately affected. I uh, saw the um, ESB saying that in the northwest of the country, it's 30% of customers that are out. So obviously it's significantly affecting around uh, Donegal, uh, Galway, Mayo, those areas where uh, where Aoife mentioned. And adding to it, the, the tr- problem with the second storm is, of course, the engineers can't work when it's windy because it's not safe to do so. And by the nature of the work, a lot of what they have to do is up poles. So that really is going to mean that uh, people are going to be without electricity for longer than you might expect. And I mean, uh, that's obviously much more significant nowadays because we rely so much on mobile phones. We rely so much on broadband. A lot of these services gone when you 
you don't have electricity. So I'm sure people are, are feeling quite isolated there. People with heat pumps won't have any uh, heat in their homes over the coming days, uh, either without electricity. Um, uh, Kieran Cunningham, one of the team uh, uh, on the hard shoulder of the production team is a Kiwi who makes the point that in New Zealand, he says, you will not find a tree in a hedgerow where there is an electricity wire. They're just ruthless about cutting these things down hmm. in terms of uh, avoiding this type of thing happening. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's a bit extreme. I, I, I know there's people without power listening to this. Well, I hope they've got batteries in the radio listening to this, and they think that sounds like a good idea. It feels a bit extreme to go around cutting down every tree. Would, uh, like especially because uh, you no, know, there has been like I'm from Glencullum Kill, the most westernmost part of Donegal, and like growing up, we was talking to my wife about this, this last night. Like we would, we were married nearly eighteen years, and we can remember t- uh, in Dublin two power cuts in that time. Whereas in Donegal, every winter, there was uh, there was always power cuts. Like, it was common. And I used to do local notes for the local papers, like Donegal, Denmark, in the last couple of years at school, like the local kind of parish mm-hmm. notes. And I was just looking through them uh, a while back because of research for something else. And there was very few mentions of storm. Like, you did mention them when they were noteworthy, but they were, they were they do seem more common now. Like the, And now the whole Western Seaboard is called the Wild Atlantic Way for a reason. <laughs> yeah. And I think... Um, I think changing the landscape because of storms and, you know, in terms of cutting down trees, you know, people would regard, people would see it as quite extreme. But I think if they are, like, it does seem the last couple of winters that there's been more storms and they have mm-hmm. done more significant damage. So maybe measures will it to be taken, like as Michael says, the media is so Dublin-centric that we think, God, it wasn't that bad. But like, if you're out of power still 24 hours later yeah. and your fridge, all your food has gone in your fridge and everything else, you know, it's... It's pretty grim. It is pretty grim. Listen, if there's any update on that 155,000 people still without power uh, between now and seven, hopefully it won't be that high. Uh, when we come off air, we will bring it uh, to you. I've got a, a kind of an angry man rant to do now, uh, Kieran, which is about uh, feigning injury in Gaelic games. I was delighted when I saw you were in for the afternoon. Right. I said, Kieran will have something I'm not to say. Back you He'll up either though. completely disagree <laughs> with me or not, but he'll have something to say. It just drives me mad. Not not dive. I don't think there's a diving problem, but I, I no, go back there to are, the, There is diving. But there's yeah. a bit of it, but yeah. I, it's more the kind of hitting the ground like a, the, Aidan O'Mahony. Yeah. 2008. Yeah, yeah, yeah. National scandal levels of, of debate nearly afterwards, which was a bit of hyperbole. But when he went down clutching his face, now he was struck. Yeah. But I don't think it'd even be remarked on anymore. No, well, it's definitely got more common and managers, some managers and coaches do tell players to do it. And they have exploited, um, you know, there's rightful, rightfully a lot of concern around concussion and yes. brain injuries. So and referees are told to be very careful with it. So you you will find like you see it in TV with replays all the time. Somebody is hit below the shoulder or on the chest, and they go down clutching their head because they know they'll get a free or they might get a yellow or red card. It does, but the only thing is. Cheating is so ingrained in sport, you know, like I remember you go back to the Thierry Henry thing. I remember the amount of like myself and loads of other journalists across the media interviewed other people in various sports mm. and they were all saying, I do the exact same. The only one I can remember at the time was Porrick Harrington because golf is unusual in that you call fouls on yourself. Yes. It has a very strong moral code that way, which other like we saw the weekend in the Premier League, Ivan Tony, uh, Brentford, he scored a goal from a free kick. 
And when the referee's back was turned, he moved the ball twice. And Nottingham Forest fans have complained about this. But but uh, the amount of players, you, you ex-players or current players, you'll see on Twitter say, uh, comment on that, they say, oh, that was very clever. I'd like to oh, think you, see, you see, those, those awful football players, you see, Kim, they slayed that dragon called morality a long time ago. Yeah. I, I held our, our, our Gaelic but, game but, stars but, but also I, I do I do think, Kieran, as well, like you go back, uh, it's not that long ago in relative terms since the only games televised were the All-Ireland uh, football and hurling semi-fans and final county level. Like there were no club games shown at all. Like this weekend, across all, you know, between women's football, uh, club games, or Burn Cup, McKenna Cup, I think there were seven or eight games shown live. Mm. There's far more games than ever before, and there's far more scrutiny. And I have to say, one of the incidents yesterday in the hurling final, I saw people outraged, and that's a clear dive. I watched so many replays, and I couldn't say either way. You know, I think some of them, you know, you would have to have sympathy for the referees, and that's when it slowed down. Like yeah. some some incidents. It's it's really really hard to call. You know, if it was a dive, it was a very good dive. It was a very clever one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I know the incident you're talking about. I, I don't think that was a dive. Actually, I think there was there was contact, as they like to say, on uh, uh, when it comes to football. Um, Kieran, I'm, I am just an angry man. Then am I? Old man rages at the dying of the light. Ah, oh, look, there's a certain cynicism around <laughs> it. It's crept into the uh, it's crept into the game. There's no question. And I, one of the most awful sides of it is then it creeps into the junior game. You start to see uh, young fellas and young girls seeing people at the senior level doing this and thinking. That's a clever way to do it. And it takes on a kind of a, a couturism or a type of shrewdness. Anyway, um, I've, I've, I fear I'm, I'm King Canute in this situation. It is uh, here to stay. Um, listen, I do want to talk about um, the Supreme Court. So this uh, decision came out just the last couple of hours. Really interesting one. Um, uh, the Supreme Court has ruled that uh, a law refusing a widower's pension to an unmarried father of three is unconstitutional. Uh, Michael, can you talk us through just some of the detail in it? Yeah, so basically this was uh, John O'Mara. He and his uh, his partner had been together for 19 years. They had three children in that period. And according to Mr O'Mara himself, they had always intended to get married, but for various reasons uh, didn't, didn't get around to it. But certainly it was a, a stable long-term relationship. And unfortunately, his wife died of uh, COVID. 19 and so he was left uh, obviously as a, as a widower uh, for all intents and purposes but the Department of Social Protection uh, refused him the widower's pension because they said well you're not actually a widower because the legislation states that you either have to be married or in a civil partnership to qualify in the law as a widower but now he very successfully uh, took this case to the Supreme Court and it's a, an extremely significant finding uh, in his favour uh, particularly in the context of the referendums that are coming up yes. uh, in March in Article uh, 41 where the, the government is proposing to uh, change the definition of uh, a family to a durable relationship. Now the, the court obviously today doesn't want to preempt the, the referendum and uh, Mr. Mr Justice O'Donnell was very very clear about that, that the discussion around the constitutional article is really one for the referendum and not for the court but it certainly seems to be um, given the impression that the court already holds that any durable relationship is is protected in the Constitution. And I think when you look at this, I mean, what's the widower's pension for? What's inheritance for traditionally? It's for it's for children. That's traditionally yes. why the law took an interest in these things. And here is a man with three children who was in a caring and dependent relationship uh, with, with, with this lady who died. Um, uh, Kieran, uh, the Supreme Court were pains that they weren't redefining the family. They felt that's beyond their remit. I guess those activist days of the Supreme Court uh, are, 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 have come and gone. Having said that, it, it does kind of it, it it does fall into this 
kind of area that we find ourselves in where the, the, the definition of the family is being broadened. Is that fair? Yeah, well, I, I think in most people's eyes, you know, that's been the case for a long, long time. Like they would think, um, you know, if you were given a description of that family that you, you know, or you know, the, the that that case there, like most people would have thought that was a family. You know, the, the fact that they didn't have a piece of paper, you know, but they've been they were together for a long time. They had children. You don't have to have children to be to have a family, obviously, as well. But. Um, I think now, in the court, if, in the court if there were of common no children sense, in this case, I don't think he would have qualified for yeah. the pension. I think the, the, no, the and I, th- I think, I think people would have. I think, yeah, and I think people would have. Some, you know, there are definitely a lot of people who would have an issue with that. That you know, that a broader, you know, a lot of this will be teased out in debates coming up to this referendum. I think, but a lot, I think, uh, no, th- th- there is a broader acceptance of different kinds of family. Mm. You know, not everybody would agree with that, but uh, that there's uh, whether that's just going to be solidified in law or by the uh, change of the constitution remains to be seen. But I think people do, people are more flexible than maybe yeah. they were in the past. Yeah, I think culturally, undoubtedly, Michael, that people are accepting of a, a broader definition of the family. Do, do you think, from a, a constitution or a legalistic point of view, we lose anything by removing a more a tighter definition of the family? Well, look, I mean, if you look at if you look at research, I mean, the gold standard in terms of raising children is undoubtedly uh, being raised within a marriage that, you know, research all across the world points to that. So there is something specific about marriage. But at the same time, we do find ourselves in a situation of uh, family diversity. Nowadays, we find ourselves with uh, blended families. We find, you know, a a spouse has died. So we've single parent families for all kinds of reasons. And I think I'd be I'd be loath to uh, be against anything that brings further protection to what are effectively family units and particularly where, uh, where, where where children are involved. I don't I don't think children should in any way miss out because they're not part of a of a traditional family. But I would like to see something around marriage retained in the in the constitution. I think it would be a pity for uh, for, for for marriage to be uh, downgraded for want of a better word in the constitution. Yeah, the, the 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 reference to marriage and the importance of marriage and protection to it is going to be retained, yeah. whether founded on a family or not. There's going to be a, a, a change in the language around it, it but there will still be a, a reference to marriage. Durable relationship, which I'm not sure I've heard a proper definition of yet what exactly a durable relationship would mean. And I think today's decision shows that it's very, very difficult to know in the future what the Supreme Court, how they would interpret a term like durable relationship. Um, Orla O'Connor of the National Women's Council is actually on the soapbox at six today on the show. And she's going to be talking about that, about the upcoming referendum. So we might uh, part of that conversation there and briefly before we go this is the story I thought was kind of w- was dead in the water <laughs> the proposed changes to um, uh, to the licence fee and the idea that there'd be this uh, levy on people's broadband bills uh, the government this morning members of government uh, behind the scenes were, were were trying to downplay any expectation this might happen but Alan Dillon is a Fine Gael TD uh, Kieran, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit earlier uh, this afternoon and he's a member of the Oireachtas Media Committee suggesting that no, this should absolutely be a consideration for government. I mean, it, it's it's a thorny one, as evidenced by how long they have taken to come to a decision, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. But um, I I think it does. No, I would be in favour of some kind of funding. You know, substantial state funding for RT, whether it's a directly from a levy the exchequer or, or a, a fifteen euro levy on your broadband. Yeah. Well, if it's in if it's in place, uh, if it's replacing the TV license, yeah, I would have no issue with that. Like, I I just know I know a lot of documentary makers say in radio and TV. And they're really talented. And there's no, if RT uh, 
is hamstrung the way it may be hamstrung by what all that's happened uh, through a lot of faults of their own, it has to be said. I think a lot of those are, you know, they'll have to get out of the business. And I think there's yeah. a lot of talent people in a, talent, a very gifted industry here that needs a strong RTE. So I think even though it's not fashionable to say we should help RTE now, I think it does need a bit of help. Michael, you'd be happy to pay a 15 euro levy on your broadband? Well, I'd, I don't know that I'd be, I don't know that I'd be delighted with it. Uh, I mean, I pay the TV licence as it is. I know the problem at the moment is so many people don't pay the TV licence, so they're going to be hit. Uh, I imagine people like that will be will be more disappointed by this. But I think any direct exchequer funding, uh, it should be really linked to reforms in RT. RT, for example, 2FM should be sold. I mean, why is the national broadcaster uh, being paid by the taxpayer to compete against other commercial uh, pop music sure, radio who, stations? Who they put on Dancing with the Stars if they didn't own 2FM? The question they'd have to ask themselves. You'll be on in five years. Yeah, within, well, within five years. Gary, within five years. Within. Uh, Michael Kelly, a journalist, former editor of the Irish Catholic, Kieran Cunningham, a chief sports writer with the Daily Star. Gentlemen, thanks a million, uh, both of you, for joining me. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.